0: Welcome to Pillars. I'm Dylan Bowman. And today I'm very excited to bring a fun, honest, and wide-ranging conversation with Colorado ultra runner, the one and only Cat Bradley. Cat has long been on my enormous and growing master list of desired podcast guests. And I am thrilled that we finally made it happen. Of course, Kat recently made big news by announcing a new sponsor, signing a multi-year partnership with Brooks Running just this past week, which gave us a great reason, a great excuse a great opportunity to sit down for this very real conversation and for those who listen often you know that I like to explore the industry side of the sport so we of course talk at length about Cat's new sponsorship arrangement how it came to be uh, but I also of course like to explore the human side of the pros in our sport what they go through how they approach their careers and how they navigate the highs and lows and i gotta say that cat was just awesome and candid in sharing the real stuff she's been through and what she has learned in the process. We discuss her upbringing in Hawaii and how that shaped her. We discuss her early experience with competition, uh, what it was like to win a little race called Western States so early in her career, and of course the good and the bad that came from that amazing accomplishment. I think you guys are really really going to enjoy this one. As always, if you do enjoy the show, the best way you can support it is by subscribing to our app. It's called Pillars. You can find it in the iOS and Android app stores. You can also share this episode with your running buddies or on social media, or leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. But either way, I'm so glad you're here. I always appreciate you guys stopping by for a listen. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. So please welcome the very real Cat Bradley. Okay, Kat Bradley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked to be on. Thank you, Dylan.
0: Yeah, and you recently made big news with a, a very exciting announcement, signing with a new sponsor, Brooks Running, uh, after Woo-hoo. several years. Yeah, several years <laughs> as a Solomon athlete, and it sounds like it's a fantastic new chapter of your career. And I can't wait to talk all about that in detail. But before we get to it, uh, there's so much more that I yeah. want to learn about you, and so much more that I want to talk about. And starting uh, sort of with your your childhood, and from what I what I understand, you grew up in Hawaii. And, uh, I just wonder sort of w- what that's like and, and maybe how that's sort of shaped you as a person,
1: man. I mean, there's uh, so much depth to that question. Yeah. Um, you know, so I grew up in Hawaii. My dad is fifth generation has, has lived there. Um, really? and my mom moved from, um, she actually, uh, you know, my mom, super uh, unique person, moved to Hawaii as a professional model, met my dad, um, had all of us. And my mom, so my mom, you know, being from New England, like classic New England, um, and my dad being from Hawaii, you know, obviously, you know, the marriage didn't work out, it, like, but my parents were split. But, you know, having these two parallels from like, I grew up in Hawaii first, you know, I'm th- the only Howley in my school or, okay. you know, on the island, you know, so it's very, you know, there's definitely a culture there of, and I told, you know, and this is something that, you know, I was really conflicted with as a kid and, mm-hmm. you know, had a really hard time with, um, but I definitely have grown to understand and uh, reflect on, you know, how I would feel. But um being a Howley or a Caucasian living there,
0: yeah.
1: uh, it, you know, it, especially in the public school system, it's hard, right. it's, it's hard and people don't like you. Um, and, but then going to new England, you know, where it, it just culturally, it's so different. my mom and her whole family's there. And, um, and just having those two totally, uh, c- polar opposite, uh, cultural experiences, you know, totally shaped me and yeah um and then also just growing up always being outside like I joke you know I thought my problem was with winter for so long but I think it's with the gear <laughs> I think I <I'm> just <laughs> like grown up I was just I, I never you know I didn't have to wear shoes till high school it, really? and, seriously I, I, I was barefoot <laughs> until high school and um
0: So did you, were you on the big island or where was your, your home? So
1: I was, yeah, I was on Oahu until, um, sixth grade and then we moved to the big island. So I went from like Kaimuki, um, which is, you know, in the city in Honolulu, which is like a big city. And then I moved to the country, um, Honoka area and went to Honoka in uh, high school. And it was so, so cool. And Honoka, if anyone's knows the area, it's, um, uh, I grew up in Honoka'a Waimea area, and it's just as country as it gets. And it, you know, one of the biggest ranches in the country is there yeah. um, called Parker Ranch, and you know, it, it's super spiritual there too. And you know, um, and I definitely, you know, and my no one in my family it's outdoorsy, and um, growing up there, I just I, and growing up, you know, my peers and their families were all connected to, the, you know, mm-hmm. I'd go to a friend's house and, um, my, and we'd go like spearfishing or we'd go like, you know, do we would go and like, and it sounds crazy, but we do, we'd sit in the Creek and like my friend's parents would bless us all. Wow. Um, it's something something, and like called the client. And like, that's what we all did on weekends. And it's so it's, it's just like the
0: the spirit of the island sort of dictates, or sort of like, penetrates every, every bit of life. I actually I read a book last year called barbarian days, which I'm sure you've heard of. It's an amazing Mm -hmm. book all about surf life and surf culture. And much of it revolves Mm -hmm. around the main character being a Caucasian person growing up in Hawaii and you know, it is, uh, you know, seems to be sort of like a uh, a critical part of his development as a person and understanding his role within the society there and and how the local people um, sort of felt about him and his ancestors sort of coming to their land. And he also talks very <laughs> mm-hmm. eloquently about, you know, sort of almost the religious experience of, of surfing and of being on the island. Do you and identify with that?
1: yeah absolutely the you know and also it's just uh it it is the ocean and the land it is religion there and you know what and especially coming from a haoli it is something that we you know i grew up surfing i and i grew up like probably some of my first experiences in like a competitive culture were doing menahune competitions on surfing and um i you know and I, you know, if you go into an area before a surf comp and, you know, it's a, a local area and, you know, people, you know, and like, I, I talked pigeon when I was a kid, just, yeah. you know, just part of the culture. But so they knew I was from, I was called, uh, um, an Island Howley. So meaning I was a Howley still, but I was obviously from Hawaii.
0: But you were from Hawaii. Okay.
1: Um, and, but the, uh, it, it is a way to connect with people. And if you just, you know, and some me and my sister, you know, and my sister is still in Hawaii and is dating someone right now from yeah. this super Hawaiian family. And this is something that we talk about a lot is just like, You just got to respect, you know, that no matter if we, and it's something that, you know, my family, we all kind of disagree on and it's conflict. My brothers are like, I don't understand. This is our home. We grew up here. How is this not ours? But if you just have to go into every experience and every new place, especially just as a Howie and as someone who, you know, it's easy to feel like you don't belong, but if you Mm -hmm. go in and respect, you know, respect that respect that you you know are a visitor then you will be maybe not accepted but respected too you yeah. know and and it, it is, and like, again, ocean, it, That that's something that we can all share together, you know, as long as we're respectful, like I'm not gonna drop in on your line. I'll tell, you tell me when I can take this wave. And, you know, and it, that, that's wow. just the way
0: it goes. Well, what a beautiful way to start. That's so cool. And I, I mean, obviously like the parallel to, to trail and ultra running is, is obvious, right? Like there, there is that sort of like, mutual respect and admiration that, you know, we kind of all have for one another within the sport as well. And, you know, I think what makes it special and what keeps people so connected to the community and so almost religiously committed to the practice is because Mm -hmm. we have this feeling of like deep respect for one another and and approach each race and each interaction usually, you know, Mm -hmm. um, generally speaking.
1: Absolutely. Not only the interactions, but the places that we're running in. And I think uh, that's something super unique to this sport. You know, cycling, you don't really see that. Any, it's so like surfing and trail running and rock climbing are the sports that I've so seen and participated cool. in that you, you know, that not only do we have a deep respect for each other, but yeah. also for the places that we're recreating in. Wow. And, you know, and I think that's really cool. And I think that's why I was so attracted to trail running. Yeah.
0: So as, as a Howley growing up there, I didn't expect we would sort of talk about this, but does it, does it make you feel like uh, a sense of, um, you know, kinship or do you identify with people who feel like they don't belong or do you go out of your way to sort of like, maybe connect with people or do you, do you see yourself and people here on the mainland in the U S who sort of are marginalized or feel like they don't belong?
1: I, I never want to compare myself to someone in the U S who feels marginalized because it's on, and so that's something that I've learned. I think living on the mainland, you know, I've been here about, you know, over 10 years and yeah. just being, and, and, you know, it, it's on a much bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Um, where my experiences in Hawaii were very acute. And then I got to come to the mainland and, you know, almost, I felt like I almost escaped from it. And I think for a long time, I was resistant to going back to Hawaii because, you know, I was bullied. Like tampons were tied to my locker by local yeah. girls, like use tampons. It was brutal. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was really brutal, but in a lot of ways too. Um, maybe I just, that you know, I, I didn't respect it as much as a, as a kid and maybe coming here, you know, I don't, I I did escape it and I felt, you know, almost, almost free here. And like, I didn't have like an identity that was attached to uh, you know, being Howley um, yeah. on the mainland, which is like something that I always, I was like so ashamed and I did everything huh. to hide it too, which mm. like my mom would come to track meets and classic New England, also professional model. So like beautiful, stands <laughs> out like a sore thumb already. Yeah. And I would just try and hide, like <laughs> want to. Ha- yeah. she'd come to my track meets and I just, I would beg her not to. Yeah. Um, and it's so, and it's just so interesting. Yeah. Um, And it's something like, especially in the last few years, I've really thought a lot about, you know, because I, I I didn't want to go back to Hawaii and I, it's a part of myself that I tried to like shove down, even though I love growing up there. I loved, and I feel so lucky to have had those experiences, but in a way, you know, you know who I was. Became a part of my identity in a way that I didn't want to, and so I guess I, I never want to say I do relate because again I escaped here. Sure, as, you know, sure.
0: Yeah, um, and and of and, course I I don't want to you know draw draw comparisons to, you know totally. other people who are who truly are are marginalized, but I think we can mm-hmm. all kind of look back at moments in our lives where you know we feel. left out or ostracized or like we don't, we don't belong. And, you -hmm. know, I think that, um, is something that, you know, all young people go to, to one degree or another. And so, you know, I think your experience is, is really unique. And, uh, I just think it's uh, an interesting thing to, to explore. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you listen to the show much, but one of the things I just really love to do is really sort of get a 360 understanding of, of the people that I talk to and sort of like learn what makes them And maybe draw some themes throughout your life that, you know, obviously have led to enormous success. But, you know, oftentimes big success, big achievement is born from things in our lives that you know weren't as pleasant to experience. Mm-hmm. And and so maybe that was one of the things for you. So let's sort of like fast forward a little bit. I'm I'm curious, you know, you said you sort of got into competition through surfing. When uh, did you start to, you know, sort of explore running or endurance sport? When did you sort of discover that talent that you had?
1: Yeah. So I mean I'd always been just like kind of an adventurer. Um and I and I did some running here and there just because I liked you know, the way it felt. Um, but not, I, I wasn't like, you know, if you'd ask me if I liked running, I'd be like, no, I hate running. Um, I, but I did <laughs> do, you know, looking back, I did do it, but like, you know, in the, in terms of play, um, but I actually got into running, um, because I was, uh, getting in trouble at school for truancy and, um, just not showing up to class and, you know, not, um, yeah I, you know talking back in class and just like getting you know getting in trouble a lot and um the school was like t- you know like uh, trying to figure out a way to you know get me to stay in school and um and to uh, uh participate and i um they're so like you well, had you,
0: you had like a rebellious side to you huh
1: <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious because yeah. if you talk to my family, they're like, "Cat always is the goody two shoes. And I'm like, you guys are all just worse than yeah. I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, so,
0: so the, you've sort of getting involved with running was maybe a, a way for you to, to be a little bit more involved with your academics. Well, or?
1: they told me that I, cause I had like racked up. So every time I missed a class the way this was structured like you'd get a set of demerits and like mm. every demerit like one but like missing like every demerit was like an hour of detention it was structured like that so like yeah like a few weeks into school it was like my freshman year of high school and a few years into school or a few weeks into school and I had like collected a whole semester's worth of detention already oh, and they're no. like you can either do this detention or you can Join a sport, and uh-huh. this was their way of just like keep getting me into something which I really needed. Wow! And um, and I and like I didn't realize it was awesome. Um, but so then I try try it out for the JV volleyball team and got cut, mm. and joined the cross country team immediately in love like first few practices i was like wow this feels good and then again like for someone who's just you know a big family you know not not like a lot of structure and not a lot of you know i i didn't like have a curfew and i didn't have so i was like totally taking advantage of all of that and i just yeah. didn't have anything to like keep me grounded and then I started winning races. You know, I was good immediately. Big fish uh, in a small pond, and it gave me something to care about.
0: Yeah, um, and if I missed
1: school, then I couldn't couldn't race. And so it was super cool. And like again, just totally life changing.
0: What an interesting thing. And I, I mean, it just sort of reminds me of something I've been involved in, and that is, you know, volunteering in prisons and stuff. And and I think. You know, again, not to draw like exact comparisons, <laughs> but I think it's it's similar in that, you, you know, instead of like punishing you for these, you know, quote unquote transgressions against, you know, the <laughs> academic institution and instead uh-huh. of, you know, like forcing you to, you know, do detention or, you know, other types of punishment. They gave you an opportunity to be more involved and to be productive with your time and Mm -hmm. to discover a talent with yourself. And I think the parallel with my experience of working with guys in prison is so similar in that, you know, these guys like you potentially didn't have a lot of direction, didn't have a lot uh, of things, you know, to sort of keep them grounded, to keep them tethered, to give them a, a sense of purpose. But once you sort of give them the opportunity to be successful and to discover their new talents, then man, they are just on fire, you know, and they just get addicted to it. And they feel that sense of, you know, I do have a talent, I am good at something. And then, you know, the, the rest is uh, sort of like, you know, the productivity just sort of cascades from there. So, mm-hmm. you know, I know that, um, you eventually went to to Santa Barbara to school, where where you ran a little bit. I want to hear a little bit about that history, but maybe also since we don't want to spend all of our time on, on sort of like your formative years. Um, Like, catch us up to when you ultimately went and did the through hike of the Appalachian Trail. Like, what was that transition like moving to the mainland to to run? And then ultimately, how the hell did you find yourself on the AT going for a through hike?
1: Okay, this is so funny. And I know I've talked about this before, but it's honestly like such a great story. Yeah. So, I, um, uh, so I, you know, show up 17 years old uh for you know I was a top recruit for UC Santa Barbara yeah for the 800 specifically I had a lot of 800 success yeah. um in uh in high school and got there and you know due to a lot of things i think first being the youngest on the team second just like you know so much of like my running did come from a place of you know I am the best. And I do mm. this because I'm the best. And all oh. of a sudden, you know, I was in Hawaii where it's, you know, it's easy to be the best. There's not that many runners. You know, there's not it's not competitive. It's not a big stage. And then I go to a UC school in California and I get there and I'm all, you know, hot shit. Like I'm, you know, I got recruited. I, you know, <laughs> I don't have to pay for school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um and I almost immediately you know getting dropped in workouts not enjoying workouts and then also the culture Mm -hmm. of you know under eating and being competitive with food which is you know just and i Mm -hmm. think it's so cool that so many people are talking about eating disorders, especially right it,
0: now. I mean, it's like, you know, the, it's like awareness month or, or whatever, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know how, Well, and
1: I think it's so important that we're, yeah. you know, everyone is saying, you know, like, yeah, this is something I experienced too, because to normalize it, that's how we can fix it. And that's, that's it. Because, you know, for when, I don't know, 10 years ago, it's something you shoved under the rug. No one, you know, yeah and when I was dealing with all my eating disorder stuff and, and again, this is the first time I've ever talked about this publicly. Um, but like my whole family was like, shh, don't talk about it, you know, just talk. And like, I think, and you know, because of that, it's, you know, the problem, you know, it almost is enticing for other women. I think when it's like shoved under the, you know, this person's getting attention and it's, shoved under the rug. But anyway, so all that like disordered eating, feeling like I, you know, not willing to put in the work to be the best, you know, and that's what it came down to. Like I was really humbled when I got there and instead of being having the attitude that I was going to put the work put, put in the work to be where I wanted to be, I was like I I just quit. Um, and I, you know, it's due to a lot of reasons. I was alone hmm. in a new place, yeah. didn't know anyone. And also like, I didn't, I was having a, a really hard time connecting, um, yeah. just, I, I didn't relate to anyone and, and, and partial, that's probably my fault. I was probably really closed off. Um, so anyway, I ended up quitting the team. Um, which like quitting, that meant quitting school for me at that point. Oh, right. Um,
0: Cause you were on scholarship. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Quit the team, quit school. Um, then go, uh, to live with my mom and dad are sp- split up for a long time at this point go live with her on the east coast Mm -hmm. um, for a little while i'm working two jobs i'm working at wilbur's this general store in little compton rhode island which is bit like where my mom grew up teeny tiny town this general (laughs) store has been open since 1850 like when i go in there everyone there's like a big photo of me uh, finish, crossing the finish line at Western at the yes. Store because oh, I worked there for so long.
0: T- take a picture and post it. We got to see this. Yeah, I, I
1: have posted it. I'll send oh, it okay. to you. It's okay, there. It's the, it, and like it's. I gotta say, my biggest fans are in that town, and it's so special. <laughs> yes, but awesome. I'm working, you know, at that job from you know 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. and then going. And waiting tables at Texas Roadhouse, which is in Massachusetts, so like 45 minutes, you know, yeah. just trying to make money to figure out what I'm gonna do. And then, you know, one, I'm also like obsessively reading blogs about like outdoor adventures because in Little Compton, there's not really, you know, it's the winter time and I'm used to like nice weather and I'm trying to figure out you know what it's not quite winter i guess it's like spring and i'm and i'm just like super anxious not being outside all the time and (laughs) it's you know it's my first winter really and i've spent it there and it's gray and so i'm like obsessively reading blogs and i like go to maine to do like a backpacking trip by myself and i have i literally bring like i'm 19 i bring some beers bring peanut butter (laughs) and some water and that's it (laughs) and I um and I you know do some bike like I like do some hiking and I actually talked to someone who tells me about through hiking the Appalachian Trail Mm -hmm. and that he'd done it and I was like I you can do that like that you, I, I it was it, was it mind. like an
0: instantaneous thing where you're like, I am going to do that.
1: Instantaneous. See and so
0: exactly I, how it was for me too. When I learned about ultra running, I mean, not to, again, not to make comparisons, but it's so true. It's like, as soon as I learned that the Leadville 100 existed, I was like, I am fucking doing that.
1: Dude. <laughs> and that's the thing that's going to you know I and that's how ultra running was for me too. And that's yeah. how, to, you know, trails and anything. Cool. I think it's just about something that's like really out there and totally. be like, Oh, someone yeah. did that. I'm going to do that too. Like, I have to.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, and so I, so my mom was like, if you want to do it fine, I'm not getting involved. So I approached my, my godmother because like, if it, if you don't know anything about the AT, it, you need some serious help. Um, I mean, especially maybe if you're 19, have no idea what you're doing. Like I needed help with, um, just getting gear sent out to me on the trail pretty much. And, um, and also getting a ride back and also like funding it, you know, um, and my God, this is, you know, my godmother and I were really close. My mom's best friend growing up. And, Uh um, we have had two fights one was before I started the Appalachian Trail and she said she was going to support me on it and send me stuff. And then she, um, like learned about what it was, <laughs> and, like tried to pull out and I'm like, no, you said you no. did, you were going no, to do it. You have yeah. <laughs> and to. Then, and then the other one was, uh, she actually crewed me for my first ultra ever, which was also on the East coast and was also not a race. And it's like, I read it on a blog. Yeah. And uh, those are the only two fights that we've had because she was like, this is impossible. And I'm like, no, look, people have done it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I set out on the trail, not knowing what I was doing. My godmother, finally, like after lots of like convincing and pleading, agreed <laughs> to help me and meet me in certain spots and, you know, uh, help me c- get home after. Yeah. And, um, And, you know, and also just, you know, this, I, you know, I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have, you know, just like, someone to call and like, hey, I realized like, I didn't know what a sleeping pad was. And so like, I did most of it without a sleeping pad. And um...
0: man, your courage, your courage and independence is like so admirable. I mean, the fact that you would take on that challenge at such a young age and sort of like at a point in your life where it seems like you were probably pretty confused about which direction to go. I mean it's such a it's such an amazing thing and I think speaks volume of of sort of like the type of person you are and and reveals probably uh kind of why you've been able to be so successful as an athlete as well and I'd love to be able to spend you know a whole episode to talk about the the AT on its own but I'm sure that's a, a super long story but sort of like I guess let's let's talk about how you ended up getting into into trail running I think one of the um Kind of cool things about you and about your career. And another thing that I just find so freaking cool is your first 100 miler at what I think is your first 100 miler at at Pine Pine to Palm, you were super young. I think you were like 21 or 22 and you had what seemed to be like a freaking vision quest. I mean, you were out there for, you know, (laughs) 31, 31 hours. And I actually, I just did a podcast with Brittany Peterson and this was something that also happened to her in her career where, in 2013, she did her first hundred miler at Leadville was chasing cutoffs, you know, finished well below what her talent <laughs> would indicate that she was capable of. And it seems like the same thing happened to you in your career. So maybe tell us about like how you went from the AT to signing up for that first hundred, having such a, what, I mean, seems like must've been a super hard day out. <laughs> and yeah. Sort have like kept you in the sport after that, instead of quitting altogether.
1: Totally. Oh yeah. I was not quitting after a Palm. Um, so actually, so rewind. Finish the AT. Super inspired by outdoor industry. Move back to Santa Barbara. Um, like take classes both at the community college and online, and end up, you know, getting a degree. Start and while I'm doing this, I'm working full time as a nighttime security guard. As a nighttime, uh, you know, clothes folder at Holl- Hollister, like really? back stocking shelves. Work in the and graveyard also, shift. Th- tw- two graveyard shifts. Wow. And um, <laughs> and, um and which like we ended up being awesome jobs and um good money because in California you have to get time and a half for any graveyard shift, so oh. like really good money. And um, then. Uh, I end up, I'm so inspired by the Appalachian Trail that I like, I want to um, go full in on the outdoor industry, start working for Santa Barbara Adventure Company, have this awesome mentor who teaches me how to be a backpack guide. And I'm, so I'm like full on guiding too on weekends um, and learning how to be a guide and um, canoe guide on the Colorado and a backpack guide in the High Sierra, and like best experience ever, fully immersed wow. in the outdoor industry. I'm like, screw running, this is gonna be my career. Uh-huh. And I um, decide that like I want to take this career and move to Colorado. So, not knowing where I'm gonna move, I just point my car to Colorado. End up in Winter Park somehow. Don't <laughs> don't know anyone, and um, end up there doing ski guide, raft guide. Um, super fun. And while I'm doing this, like I'm slowly my some of my friends in California had been running ultras. So like, I'm like commuting back and forth between California and yeah. so Louis Escobar, actually, I knew him because he photographed one of my track meets yeah. and while, and while I was injured. Yeah. And he- Louis um, Escobar,
0: who's a legendary sort of uh, character on the ultra circuit, photographer and runner himself, race director too, down in central yeah. coast of California. I think he lives in San Luis Obispo now, but yeah. In the so, same period.
1: Yeah. So he like kind of mentored me along with this guiding mentor. Um, I did some like ultras, but like I, I wasn't running, I wasn't training, but, um, so I'm like going back and forth between Colorado and California because I'm guiding, but you know, the, it's it's a seasonal industry. So you have like a few really intense weeks and then a few weeks off, you know? Yeah. So, um, when I'm going back in California to California, I like, am like, just Running these crazy ultras and also partying like, like <laughs> crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're
0: the same person, Kat. I feel I identify with you so much because man, well, my, that's
1: pretty cool. my
0: my college days in early twenties and late twenties really still yeah we're we're um, filled still with way too much partying. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I so yeah so actually so I did. I was doing Lewis's races and also like Lewis and I, and a whole bunch, a group of people, um, you know, did a rim to rim. We were doing the nine trails route at one point, like I was, Lewis and I were doing nine trails. Like every weekend I'd call him and be like, what are you doing this weekend? Yeah. Let's do nine trails. And we'd like chug beers at the, it was so fun. <laughs> it was like, and thinking about that now. And we weren't going fast. <laughs> and I want to say also through all yeah. of this time, I'm wearing Brooke shoes. Like, okay. Awesome. I, like totally. I, I was actively, yeah. <laughs> we'll come
0: back to t- that. Yeah, we'll come back to that a little later. Yeah, cool.
1: <laughs> and um, I uh, but anyway, um, so I'd actually done Bryce one hundred. And mm. I was in California on a break and I was like, Ren, who is my uh, guiding mentor, mm-hmm. I was there staying with him. And I had some friends from high school visiting Santa Barbara and I didn't have a place there. I'm like living in my car and um, I didn't. And so I'm breaking into a high school friend's apartment and another high school friend. This is i done Bryce, got DFL there. Um, and they had actually, I finished, it, I like, it took me so long that I didn't actually get a finish, but they, you know, they gave me a buckle, but it wasn't an official finish. It took like 37 hours. I would had like no really way. crazy bronchitis. Yeah. And this, is, this is
0: before pine. This is before the this is palm? before
1: palm. This is wow. June. So like, so actu- had- I have like a total vision quest there. <laughs> I'm like, th- so I think I like, I'm eating pro bars the whole time. First, I run, like, an hour 10 first 10 miles. Like, Tim yeah. Olsen, it was there. I didn't know who – I, like, don't know the ultra scene. I, like, just am running these races. And, I, and Tim Olson, fresh off, like, a Western States, is yeah. checking my tonsils because my – rate, like, I I have no voice. And he's like, I'm pretty sure you're really sick. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> and then classically, my college friend is like, here, chug this Gatorade. My whole crew is drunk. Like, just <laughs> – like my pacer is like pacing me and puking all over himself. Yeah. Like so hilarious. And um, this is so funny
0: because so the same shit has happened with me and you know, all my, from my college buddies come oh, to crew for me and just get hammered. And Right. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So fast forward, pine to pine, you know, I, I do, I finish Bryce. Um, And I'm like, God damn it. I know I can do better than that. That was pathetic. Like I want another one. Yeah. Give me another one. Sign up for Pine to Palm. So t- two weekends before Pine to Palm, I am uh, again in Santa Barbara, a few of my high school friends, like we, a bunch of us all moved to Santa Barbara together from Hawaii mm-hmm. and we're all to, and like one of them is visiting and I'm breaking and I'm in Cal- Colorado at this point, but like commuting back and forth. And um, my friend is visiting and uh, my other friends were out and we were coming home from the bars and I go to break like climb through the window of one of my longtime friends you know something I've done a million times climb yeah. through my friend Kyle's apartment yeah um who you know grew up in Hawaii another Caucasian dude we got super close yeah um growing up um and he uh so was breaking into his apartment my friend my other friend from Hawaii is so drunk. She is like thinks I'm scared to climb through, pushes me through the window. This is the week before Pine to Palm and I hit my knee so hard on the bathtub. I find out later that my patella is fully cracked. Oh no. And, but I find this out after Pine to Palm. Yeah. So this is two weeks before and I have a, a canoe trip that I have to work that. That's why I'm back in Santa Barbara. <laughs> work this canoe trip then like literally hitch a ride to Oregon. Like I'm hitchhiking to Oregon for like (laughs) to get to Pine to Palm and I can hardly walk, you know, obviously. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, I paid whatever it was like $300 for this race. Yeah, I'm not like pulling out. And I literally, I was like, I, I have to do it. So literally walked the whole thing and the downhills, I all walked backwards and, you know, I'm super young and everyone's so worried about me. And luckily Hal is like, just let her do it. <laughs> you know, just let her, <laughs> what's the worst going to, that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually saw the la the next time I saw Hal, cause he's like this race, Pine to Palm in Western States, it's like t- three years apart. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Um, and I so, yeah, I was 25 when I won Western and, yeah. and uh, I see how I'm winning Western at Corey road. And I'm like, how do you remember me? I'm the girl that walked your whole phrase the broken <laughs> kneecap. And he's like, yeah, but you gotta go. You cat. gotta you go. i got yeah, stop chasing cat. you.
0: And Corey road but, is mile 90 of Western States, which I want to talk about next, but yeah, finish up the, uh, the pine to palm story before we get to that. <laughs>
1: So yeah, you just I mean walk there's not, the not much to it. I walk the whole yeah, I literally walked the whole race. Like I'm walking all the downhills backwards. Like all the sweet ladies at the aid stations are like Shh we need to pull her out. We need to do something. I'm like, anyone have any duct tape? Yeah. I need to tape my knee. Dude, Kat, <laughs> you're, like,
0: you're like the most hardcore person I know. I mean, just having admittedly not known a lot about you before we just picked up this zoom call. It's like, holy smokes, growing up in Hawaii and then freaking just doing the AT off the couch with like no knowledge. <laughs> And then vision questing Bryce and then vision questing <laughs> Pine to Palm. It's like, holy smokes, you had yeah. so many great stories under your belt. And I guess uh, let's transition to another amazing story that wasn't quite as much of a vision quest, but uh, I think probably holds a similar uh, sort of like, yeah, good memory in your in your life and in your career. And that is your victory at the Western States 100 back in 2017. and. Mm-hmm. It's such a, it's such an interesting story too, because you'd had some success at that point. Obviously we've sort of focused on your vision quests, but you'd had Mm -hmm. some, you'd had some good races in between Pine to Palm and Western States, but you were still sort of an unknown quantity within the sport. I mean, it wasn't as if you came in as one of the favorites to win the race Mm -hmm. that day and you came in, you're 25 years old. You got in with one ticket in the lottery. And it seems that you came in with the attitude that you were there to compete and to win. And I think this is a revealing thing because I think it takes that type of attitude to actually, to actually win the race. So, totally. so maybe talk a little bit about that psychology. Like when you got in with one ticket, what, I mean, what gave you the belief in yourself that you, that you could win the race, you
1: know, And I, you know, and I coach some athletes now, and I tell them this, and I tell them that this is, like, the number one indicator of whether you're going to be successful in the sport. And I knew, you know, from when I started, like, at Lewis's Races at 20 years old, you know, and I'm not doing, like, anything crazy, you know, but I just knew Maybe it's because I felt at home in the sport, but I, you know, I knew in my bones that I could be good at this, like in my bones, in my stomach, in my heart, I was like, I can be good at this sport. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I love running and I love trails and I love outdoors and I just worked really hard. Um, and I'd been working really hard. And when I got in on that one ticket, um, you know, I, I knew I was going to be a contender, you know, and I, and I, again, again, like, and I haven't had this gut feeling about a race since, but like I had a gut feeling that I really? was going to win. Wow. You know? And like, just, you know, and I trained with intention every day and I didn't like train a ton. It didn't, and I, again, I haven't been able to replicate this and I, and I am um, working back towards it because, you yeah. know, it just takes us, and i think part of that is being the underdog um and uh but i i just knew in my bones that i from like december that i was gonna have a good day wow and um worked really hard and i got i gotta say i was crazy fit too i have not been that fit since
0: yeah
1: um and you know and so I, how did, and how I did that,
0: how did that sort of change your life? I mean, you, you sort of felt in your bones that you're going to have this amazing day and it comes to fruition. It's something that we all dream about achieving in our careers. And I think, you know, for you, it's such an interesting thing because like, it's, it seems like one of those moments in our lives and we could probably all point to a in one to one degree or another in one context or another, maybe not necessarily in running, where just like everything just kind of goes our way and works out just absolutely perfectly, you know? Mm -hmm. And for you, like miraculously getting into the race with one ticket is the first way that it it went your way, you know, to win Mm -hmm. on your first try after, you know, paying your dues as an ultra runner, but you're still only 25 freaking years old. And know. you know, like I imagine that that it really changed your life. Like after that, you sort of became a professional athlete. So, like, maybe, yeah, talk a little bit about the immediate aftermath there. like how how did that change your life and impact sort of your perception of of who you are, what you could achieve, and your relationship to the sport?
1: You know, i I think um this answer is not going to be what you expect, but maybe it is. Um, I so first, I have to rewind a little bit. I got in a car accident in 2015 where I got a um, uh, a pelvic ring stra- stress fracture, mm-hmm. or not stress fracture, impact st- fracture, um, and which causes a lot of stabilization issues. And um, I came back, and just like 12 weeks after the accident, had like my pelvis it like, I'd hardly gotten that fracture cleared. I ran the bear 100, like kind of pushed too fast. And then right around the time of Western States, it started really catching up to me. Um, and like before, like the, maybe the four months before. And again, like I knew in my bones that I could be good. And I knew, and I wasn't going to let anything stop me from like t- seizing this opportunity. Mm-hmm. But, um, something that like a lot of people don't know is that training block first. Like my mileage is really low because I was in a lot of pain all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I wasn't really going over 60 miles. Um, and second, I uh, was also getting body work just to try and like be able to run. I was getting body work four days a week. Really? Um, and just, and again, teacher salary, almost nothing like yeah. so to- flat broke. Yeah. Um, treating my, you know, spending, putting everything. And that's the other thing. Like I was putting all my money and everything I had into running. Wow. And, um, and, you know, just kind of, and I don't want to say I was banking on being a professional runner, but like, I, I, I didn't really have a thought past Western. I was like, I'm going to win this race, you know, and then we'll figure everything out. But like four days a week, getting body work, there's this really great acupuncturist here. Who's a friend of ours. like Rocky mountain runners and her name's Jenna Ellis from Boulder AccuSport. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, thank, thank God I had her. Um, and, uh, so she was like so helpful, but I saw, you know, and I actually like before the race, the week before the race, I was my, you know, it's from driving there from Colorado, like my, my back really flared up, which caused it. So the, I had a lot of, since it's a stabilization issue, like it caused a lot of nerve pain. So all I was Mm. feeling was nerve pain. Mm. And, you know, in my head, I'm like, it's just nerve pain. Like you can't really do any damage. And that's how I, you know, kind of rationalize training through it and racing through it. But Yeah. Um, then after Western States, you know, it all come, you know, I did it. I knew I was going to do it, you know, and like the first, you know, 10 miles of the race, my back was really acting up. And, you know, then it like, again, miraculously loosened up, you know, Mm -hmm. which like doesn't always happen. And then, um, uh, after the race, like, you know, things do kind of just come crashing down. Like my back becomes to a point where I can't like really train more than three weeks at a time. Like I train three weeks and then yeah. it gets bad, train three weeks and it gets bad. Um, and uh, you know, and then like- So, I'm so do you think runner. that like
0: the 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 race performance itself Sort of, and maybe like the emotional, psychological release of like achieving something super great, like that. The decompression immediately thereafter made the the physical injuries and the consequences of the traveling and the uh, I'm sorry of the the training and the racing sort of make the back issue flare up.
1: Uh, and I don't want to say flare up. Um, first, I like had to financially recover from the all the body work and like i had to i for i'd lost my job i got laid off from the private school i was working at yeah had sunk all my money i was in debt going just doing body work wow um from my back and so i couldn't so after western like i'd signed an awesome solomon contract yeah um but i i still had to like not do the body work you know i didn't have anything inside so um, and I was able to train like through the summer. Cause obviously I did that, um, FKT, but even before that, like in tears, like being like, I feel broken, I feel broken. Like what is wrong? Huh. You know? And then in 2018, 2019, I finally go like, see some specialists and, you know, I like, they validate my pain. Like, oh yeah, your fracture hasn't actually fully healed and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, totally just a you know, accumulation of just like the emotional, so much energy went into Western, yeah. you know, from the second I got in and I know it's only six months, but like, I'm also working 40 hours a week, getting my master or getting, yeah. trying to get my masters, you know, have this, you know, trying to train and like with this crazy goal that like, I, I'm not really talking about and, you know, but I, you know, it, it is, you know, having a goal like that, it's really spectacular, but it also is a lot of emotional weight, you know? Um,
0: And then after, after it's success, you successfully achieve it. You don't have that carrot at the end of the stick anymore. And there is like, a sort of, uh, yeah, like a sense of loss or disappointment after that happens. I mean, it's this phenomenon that happens to Olympic athletes too. They just made a documentary about it, you know, the, the weight of gold, uh, where, mm-hmm. you know, even if you're super successful, Uh, afterwards, you can feel you can go through almost like a mourning period, like a sense of loss for having no longer uh, or no longer having um, this target to sort of aim your your energy and your spirit and your goals towards every single day and Mm -hmm. so it seems like something similar happened to you and um, I'm curious too I mean because I I wrote I I sort of copy pasted something that you posted on on the internet and you're a great writer man you're so good at sharing things and I just wanted to read something that I think is is really uh, interesting from from this time because it, it sort of encapsulates I think everything that we're talking about right now And you say, this is from your Instagram and it's just an excerpt from a post from, I don't know, several weeks ago. But you said, when I got in with one lottery ticket in December of 2016, I made the silent goal to Ryan, your partner. And my coach that i was in it to win it that required a degree of neuroticism my sole focus was on work and running other facets of my life fell to the wayside i won the race but i also lost my job i held on to those neuroticisms in the months that followed knowing that they did lead to life-changing achievements but without a full-time job to balance me out i became wound up Those neuroticisms wound me up so tight the rest of the world seemed bleak. I wasn't having fun even when I was doing the thing I loved most, which was running. It took a few years for me to unwind slowly untying the knots of perfectionism that make make life strained and unenjoyable. My fire was burning too hot and I burned out. But when my foundation went up in flames and all that was left was ash, it gave me space to regrow. And I think that's a beautiful way to sort of, you know, say what what you know we're talking about like you know it seems like you you put everything into it and you were rewarded with an amazing life experience but there was a sense of imbalance right you're committing every dollar you have to keeping yourself you know able to run down a trail and then once mm-hmm. the achievement is once the cougar is on your on your trophy shelf it seems like everything sort of came crashing down there. So, I mean, talk a little bit about how you, how you navigated that period. How did you manage to, to regrow?
1: Yeah, man, you, that got me like teary eyed just because it is so painful, you know, and it's not something people talk about and like it hard. And, you know, I kind of, this is funny because I kind of have a qualm with, David Goggins for this reason
0: because he <laughs> this is so- a contrarian take this, this is a contrarian take. Yeah. <laughs> He's like and the, uh, you know, everybody loves, uh, David Goggins, uh, you know, be so totally. hardcore, you know, no complaints ever. So sorry, but go ahead.
1: No, don't be sorry. But as someone who, and like, man, and I, again, like I haven't read his book. I I've just listened to little excerpts of it and, Um, and you know, have listened to podcasts. Um, but again, like I have to turn it off because I'm like, this is so unhealthy. And as someone who has been there, and again, like someone who is so wound up, like when all you can think about is the next run, the next run, the next run, you know, or the or doing the body work, like, oh, I I can't afford body work right now, so I'm going to spend like Two hours rolling. Like, oh, I don't really have two hours because I have to get this done, but screw that. I'm gonna spend two hours rolling. Yeah. It's like, oh, like this fun party that I'm at. My one of my good friends is turning 30, but it's eight thirty. I gotta go, you know, and that's not me, you know, I'm someone that, you know, does you know, likes to have a couple drinks with friends and like, likes to do crazy impulsive things. And, you know, and so like all of that fell and I'm not saying, you know, there has to be balance. Like I obviously can't do that and be successful. Like I did when I ran Pine to Palm, you know, I can't just like rage all the time and, you know, and then wake up at four in the morning for these adventures. But also like, I can't, you know, I just, maybe it's just because like I'm a person of extremes that I've had to, you know, balance myself out in this way. Like the, the pendulum just has not been able to sit in the middle. Um, but when I just hear the little things that David Goggins said, and from someone who's like held that, those characteristics and like has sat in that and been so unhappy and like not even realizing how unhappy I am. Yeah. Um, you know, like lonely, not having, you know, not being able to be present in with my family, with my friends. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: just because I'm thinking about running and you know, um that's it, that's why, you know, I think there's gotta be a limit to pushing your limits.
0: Yeah. Well, there's know? gotta be balance. Yeah, there's gotta be balance, totally. right? And and, and it, it does, you know, probably for the majority of people to win western states, it requires a level of imbalance, a level of dedication, to achieve something like that. And so I don't know, it's it's a theme that you see in all different sports and really in all different walks of life too. I mean, you see examples of the people who are theoretically the most successful people in the world who, you know their relationships fall apart. They don't have presence or relationships with their their kids because all they do is work. And I don't know, I mean, it's just sort of like there's examples of this in in everything. And so I think it's important for people to sort of hear people like you who who do have a uh, cougar trophy sitting on your shelves uh, to understand, you know, like this shit comes at a cost and you learn, I mean, from the good things, but you know, the good things often lead to to hard things and hard things often lead to good things. And, you know, it's all mm-hmm. about being human and, and riding those riding those waves. So I'm totally. super appreciative. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, and I'm, and I just want to make it clear to anyone listening that I'm not saying don't work hard and I'm not saying go chase your dreams, Yeah. but when you do catch your dreams, take a second, you know, <laughs> yes. take a few weeks and, you know, and I know it's hard to like refocus that energy. Um, but maybe, a good practice like right after, is to think about where you can instead of refocusing just think about dispersing it for a few weeks you yeah, know yeah um because i do think it's really important to be on balance sometimes um and i you know i certainly you know i want to win western again you know yeah, i want yeah. to do really big things in the sport um and i feel like i can still yeah. um But I, I just, I, I think, and that's going to cause some, some more unbalance, but like, I just, I, and I think for anyone listening, like, I'm not saying don't go for it. Cause absolutely go for whatever you're dreaming of. Um, it's totally worth it, but when it's done, like, don't just refocus to the next thing (laughs) that, you know,
0: well, Kat, this is awesome, man. Thank you so much for speaking so honestly, um, about, that period of your career. Cause it's so, it's so interesting. And I think there's so many good pieces of wisdom in what you just said. And, um, I think now's a good time to transition to another, you know, super positive thing that's, that's happened recently and something that you announced just a few days ago, and that is your new partnership with Brooks. Um, maybe talk a little bit about how that, that partnership came about any insights you can provide into sort of the process of having an existing partnership, kind of coming to a close. And mm-hmm. uh, vetting vetting new partners, and and how you and Brooks came to be in communication, and how that relationship became official.
1: Totally. So I knew my Solomon contract was coming to an end, um, and I well, you know, I had a lot of growth in Solomon, and they're obviously like one of the leading brands. I knew I wanted to move on, and I knew that I. <laughs> I, you know, I really liked Brooks shoes. Like I'd gotten my hands on a pair of catamounts, um, a few months before. And also I've been running their, in their road shoes.
0: The catamounts <laughs> yeah, their, just for people to, you know, that's their new, their new trail shoe, which apparently, yeah, yeah, people, people really like, so go ahead. Yeah,
1: it's, it's awesome. And it's, um, you know, a really high performing trail shoe, like, and transitions really well from any terrain. Um, and I, so I'd gotten my hands on a pair of those. And as I mentioned before, like I'd been running in Brooks in high school, college. And then when I got into trail, I like my first pair of trail shoes. I bought a pair of what was the pure grits on eBay used because I was like, I have to pair wear a pair of Brooks shoes, but I can't afford, you know, it was, it was probably like $110 back then. So so I bought a, I used pair of pure, pure grits for like 30 (laughs) on (laughs) eBay. (laughs) And and, um and uh so right before my contract expired, like I actually I didn't know who's managing athletes. But I actively sought out whoever was managing the elite athletes at Brooks. Yeah. Um, and I now I know Camila a little bit, but I I didn't really know her, and so I just like went through like any acquaintance that I had, and this maybe speaks to just my personality. Like when I want something, I actively like really work at it so i'm like facebook messaging random people like hey i see i see on your linkedin that you work for Brooks. do you like, i my name is Cap bradley and i won western states in 2017 yeah. i also have an 18 800 meter pr blah 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 like like please sponsor me and yeah, yeah. um and i uh too funny. And I, uh, finally like, and you know, my contract's coming to an end and I like really, I'm like talking to a few other brands, but nothing that really, I, I'm like really just like actively I'm disappointed and I'm actively just dis- pursuing Brooks and it's yeah. December 31st. Um, finally. And I like, no luck, no luck, no luck. This is going on for months of me, just like intensely LinkedIn and Facebook stalking people and, um, spending, hours and hours. And finally um, I get an email from Julie Cully saying like, Hey, I I would love to talk to you. Like, um, and uh, that's why they call me queen at the follow-up. <laughs> Don't <laughs> stop emailing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: So that that's awesome. Um, it's, and I, one of the things I'm I'm curious about, you know, you mentioned the Pure Grit, and and obviously like Brooks was, this is still the sponsor of Scott Jurek, a legend in the in the trail and ultra running space. And you know they made the Cascadia, which is probably the best selling trail shoe of all time. But they haven't had a lot of presence in the trail scene recently. Is there anything you can tell us about sort of Brooks' longer term vision and commitment to the trail scene? Obviously they've they, you know, just released this catamount trail shoe, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, like I said, has had rave reviews and probably is doing pretty well in the market. Is there anything else mm-hmm. that you can tell us about, you know, what they're thinking um, about as it relates to trail running and athletes?
1: So I will say, and this, you know, will speak volumes to anyone who knows the trail scene and especially how athlete structures are usually, you know, athlete sponsorships are usually structured. They Mm -hmm. are sinking as much money and time um, into the trail scene, trail shoes, and trail athletes as they are into all of the road athletes.
0: Oh, great. Um, So
1: their highest performing, their goal is that their highest performing trail athlete will make as much and have as much impact on the brand um, and have, you know, a career long relationship, just like the road athletes do, you know, they're sinking everything into it, which, you know, I think is incredible. And it's, you know, feels really cool to be on the forefront of that. You know, um, I know there's some really cool things coming down the pipeline and, um, you know, and I think it's just so awesome that they want their athletes involved and, you know, they, they want our input and they care about, um, you know, making really high performance gear. You know, they don't yeah. want to release anything that's just like, okay, you know, yeah. they only want to release. And you know, that, you know, that the Catamount is just such an amazing start of what yeah. um, it's going to be. And I, you know, it's cool
0: yeah I uh, I actually met Brian uh, Brian God I'm forgetting his last name I think it's bark maybe Brian mm-hmm. bark you uh, you probably haven't met him yet but he's friends with Caitlin Gerbin and he actually crewed and paced Caitlin Gerbin during her Wonderland Trail FKT so I had a chance to interact with him there and he's uh, apparently the the guy who designed and developed the the catamount so mm-hmm. he's a good guy who you'll get to connect with and I did see also on Twitter today that the des linden is going to be trying to go after the 50k world record so you know i
1: saw that as i was uh walking here to do the podcast yeah. i'm in like a community center right now yeah. and i saw it and i was like oh shit and i thought yeah. to myself i'm like man because that was something in the back of my head i was like right. hmm, maybe um but yeah. man super cool also i screenshotted it the other day she when i announced with brooks and all the brooks employees were posting it she started following me i was yeah. Save this for the <laughs> <laughs> she's a hero. Yeah. Well, yeah, cool. I'm
0: well, definitely. congratulations about that. I mean, that seems like a, a great move for you and a great fit between an athlete and a brand. And and so I wish you guys nothing but the best and we'll look forward to seeing more what what Brooks is doing and and how you're going to contribute. Let's talk a little bit before we sort of wind down about the race that you had last weekend, because, you know, you again, you're such a great writer and you posted about, uh, you know, making a bunch of rookie mistakes again and being (laughs) being rusty. And I talked to both Tyler Green and Brittany Peterson after they won Black Canyon and both of them, you know, didn't seem to feel like they were rusty at all, having taken a year off from competition. And I totally feel like, you know, the first race that I do back is going to be completely awful. You know, that I, I always have to sort of like work through some rust and it seems like you had to work through a little rust this past weekend. So tell us about the Mesquite Canyon 30 K what, what you relearned about the sport through, uh, through some yeah. mistakes.
1: So, so hilarious. So, you know, first race and also first race and new gear, which the gear that I had from Brooks wasn't the issue. Um, but I, the day before, and classic, classic first time racer mistake. Day before I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? I'm gonna go to Target and buy, you know, something, a water bottle that I can use as a handheld and like a belt to put some gels in. Um, and I uh, <laughs> buy like a little bottle and this belt and like, don't touch them until I'm like, cool. You know, check off the list, got them all prepared morning of I'm putting it on. I can't close the water bottle all the way a and B I, um, the belt is like, it's like a one size fits all belt, but like, it is too big. (laughs) So like, and I like, you know, slept in, didn't really care like 10 minutes before the race. I put the belt on. I'm like, Shit, it's like too big. This isn't gonna stay on. I have no pockets. Like, what am I gonna do? Use my two bottom race pins to pin it together. I'm like, okay, fine, that'll work. <laughs> but don't really resolve the leaking water bottle issue.
0: Yeah. So
1: I'm running with um Courtney Barnes, who is a transitioning track athlete into the trail. Um, super fun. And we're running Sweet. in this awesome pack. Um, you know, chit chatting away. And I'm like, hmm, I'm like getting all wet. And she's like, yeah, you're spraying me with water everywhere. <laughs> like you're, you're spraying me. I'm soaking wet. I'm like, Oh God, yeah. I'm so sorry. I mostly feel bad about getting her wet. I'm like, yeah. ah, like whatever. Fine. And, um, but there's no like real aids, you know, it's a 30 K and there's no real aid stations to the end. There's like one at mile four and like one at mile 18 or something. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I know my water bottle's empty. Don't stop at mile four. And, um, so the way the course works, it's like eight miles of really flowy, like slightly uphill, but fast trail. And then you start like climbing and it's this really steep and really technical climb. And it takes me off guard. Um, and second of all, it's 80 degrees and it's 80 degrees at 8am. And yeah, um it also hasn't really, you know, it's been really we've had, you know, an unusually cold winter or a few yeah. weeks in Boulder. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you know, Courtney is like, and usually I'm the one that's good at technical terrain, but having not really run on trails in the last few years, like with COVID and me, I, I just moved back down to Boulder, but I was a Ned. Like I didn't really get to run on a lot of trails yeah. um for a while. And then I also took, I don't know if I talk I took almost 10 weeks zilch exercise didn't really? even didn't run didn't do any exercise i took that all off in um um in the fall and like have just slowly been transitioning slowly back so anyway, I'm like trying to move over this technical terrain, like feeling just like a total goofball and, you know, like tripping, like cutting out my arms on the rocks. Like, you know, I'm like, what the heck? Whose body is this? And then I go to take a sip of water and, I, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it actually is all gone. <laughs> and um, I'm like, again, you know, don't think about it too hard. Don't really make a big deal about it um get to the top of the climb I can see Courtney like the whole time we're climbing she's like just 50 feet in front of me
0: yeah um
1: and so I'm like you know that that's that carrot like it's keeping me moving but as soon as we get to the top she drops me you know she I she goes it's like super technical descent and I'm again like whose body is this (laughs) like yeah (laughs) I can't even what are these rocks doing here (laughs) I've been running on creek path and uh just um you know, and I, you know, take the gas off. Um, I start, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, fine, a second. T- t- again, total rookie mistake. Something I wouldn't do if I was racing a lot, you know, because you know, yeah. like when you're racing, you're racing the whole you're time. Racing. Yeah. And um, so I totally took the gas off and was eating. Also, I had like a gel, a t- or two, a spring gel, which are awesome. But also, you need water. Um, so I'm going down this descent, and all of a sudden, I get caught by this girl, and you know, I'm like, what race are you running? She's like the (laughs) 30 (laughs) K pick it up, (laughs) pick it up. And like, we're, so I am able to put some distance on her, but like both of us are, you know, running pretty hard, um, uh, thrown down. And then all of a sudden it flattens out a little bit. And again, haven't had any water have had in like two and a half hours, two gels, Um, and you know, we're going like slightly uphill to the finish and it's, you know, she's like 50 feet behind me and I'm running as fast as I can, but like not going very fast. And also I keep almost puking, you know, when it's like in the back of your throat (laughs) and, um, and I'm just like, keep looking back and she, you know, she's getting closer. I'm like, no, I can't. Why can't I make my legs move any faster? Um, and, uh, eventually I can see the finish line. Um. She passes me, you know, high five, whatever. And uh, I stop puke like all over myself in the most disgusting way. (laughs) And I'm like, ah, geez, Louise.
0: Welcome back to racing. I know, right,
1: exactly. (laughs) And um, cross the finish line, you know, people are trying to hug. I'm like, you don't want to touch me. You don't want to hug me. (laughs) I actually texted my coach and he's like, we got to work on this puking thing. And I'm like, yeah, for nothing else to, so I don't have to burn my clothes so that, after. So that, I can,
0: so that I can hug people after the yeah. races.
1: Or like, fine, yeah. we, it's COVID, we don't have to hug, but my laundry is still sitting in a paper bag and I peeked in there and I was like, oh God, I might have to just throw that away.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, but, um, well... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, again, it's uh, it, uh, on your website. You call yourself a lifelong learner, and uh, you know, it's important to to have those learning experiences again and to to get the competitive juices flowing. So, you know, k- kudos to you for for battling it out and and still, as is a theme in your career, you know, still seeing it through to the end, even when uh, it turns into a vision quest. So, yeah, <laughs> that's really and it was cool.
1: fun. And yeah. like that's something you know. And sometimes I question. I'm like, do I, especially like right before races, I'm like, do I actually really like racing? Yeah. You know, I'm like, do is this something that I really like, or is it like yeah. some weird ego trip? Um. And you know, it, it you know, it kind of goes to show that like even at the end, you know, even when I'm, I, I remember thinking, you know, she's 50 feet behind me, and I'm like running as hard as I can, like feeling terrible like about to puke feeling terrible pretending like I can hold her off when I know damn well I can't I'm like I remember thinking in that moment I'm like so do I actually like this and I remember in that moment like I'm you know this is fun like I'm glad she's chasing me right now even though it would have been cool to just cruise it in like have an easy win like woo, I'm back you know I've had more fun doing it this way and I think that says something about you know the sport how cool totally. It is.
0: <clears throat> yeah. And another great little nugget of wisdom to leave people with. So Kat, let's, uh, let's sign off. I, I so appreciate all your time. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, so much, you know, honesty and candor and, and I think just important messages for people to take away from this episode. So just sort of, as we, as we wind down, why don't you tell people what you, have on the docket coming up obviously understanding that everything's unpredictable now what's inspiring for you what's motivating you what are you sort of aiming towards if and when we ever get back to normalcy
1: you know what i um, my career you know i've had a lot of success in the 100 mile distance and you know this year is all about um you know racing shorter and faster and when we say shorter, you know it's still like 100k so i'm Yeah, you know, racing CCC this year. Um, and you know, hopefully it happens, you know, um, and I'm also signed up for both Mont Blanc marathon and Mont Blanc 90 K. So we'll see which one I run, Sweet, but, uh, I just want to, you know, get out of my comfort zone with some of those shorter, faster stuff. Again, you know, I know I have the leg speed. It's just like the racing strategy. It's uncomfortable. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable and it's harder. And, you know, I think sometimes I've just, you know, that comfort zone of just, you know, running, you Know moderate for 100 miles is mentally yeah. a lot less scary, I think, than running like balls uh, out for 100k. So, I'm the and same I'm,
0: way, yeah, yeah.
1: right. Yeah. And, and so, I'm excited to uh, you know, kind of confront that fear a little bit um, this season. So, we'll see. see. And again, both of my big races are in Europe this year, so oh, yeah, and then I'm also hopefully racing CIM um, with a big team of brooks athletes so i'm i've run a 243 marathon and i'm hoping to get under that
0: awesome well kat good luck with everything i'll be anxiously following everything you do this year Uh, uh, congratulations again on this great new partnership and thanks again so much for sharing so much about your story with us it was a really fun conversation
1: yeah definitely and a lot that hasn't been talked about so thank you dylan this is fun
0: You guys, enjoyed that one. Thank you so much to Kat for being so open and honest with us. I sure did learn a lot and developed an even deeper respect and admiration for Kat, the person and athlete. Check out the show notes if you need a link to Kat's social media, to her Instagram. I put a link in there also to her website where you can inquire about her coaching services, which she did mention very briefly. Definitely hit her up. Let her know if you enjoyed the show. Let her know if anything resonated with you in particular. I'm sure she would love to hear from you. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll have more coming very soon. Until next time, love you, bye.